Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sophie Scott. And I'm James Gill. Our mission is to make wellness accessible to everyone. We'll be chatting with our favourite people. Sharing uplifting news stories. And delivering tips and tricks. To bring balance to your lives. Hello, welcome to the Balance Podcast. That was very loud. Uh, Merry Christmas. This is a a special Christmas edition with Rachel Paris. Um, Rachel is... I'm going to keep this tight because this is such a long episode. Rachel and I have known each other the best part of a decade and we talk for nearly a decade, so yes, I'll stop talking and get to Rachel. Rachel is on tour, um, and she's also on t- uh, she's also on tour with Ostentatious, and they're also doing a London residency. I will hyperlink both Rachel's website and Ostentatious, they're amazing as well. Um, and then here is Rachel, and this is wonderful, she's great. I run a comedy night called Always Be Comedy. Rachel is doing a couple of works in progress. Is that the plural? Yeah, let's go with that. A couple of whips, uh, so you can see her work. I've, ne- I've never promoted my own website and uh, my uh, the the comedy night. I think not in such a blatant way, and I'll stop. It doesn't feel right. Primarily, <laughs> Rachel's going on tour, and ostentatious. Rachel is wonderful, fantastic stand-up and actor and improviser. Uh, you will probably know her from the Mash Report, but if you're already a fan of the live comedy circuit, you'll know her from the comedy circuit. She's the best. Great human, great dude, great podcast guest. I wish you a very Merry Christmas. This is a very Christmassy episode. We talk about Christmas. Uh, I hope you're feeling Christmassy. Also, if you are alone this Christmas, something that Rachel and I talk about, Sarah Millican, we think launched... If she didn't launch it, she certainly championed it. The hashtag join in. That is hashtag join in. So if you are um, on your own at Christmas or you can't get to family at Christmas, use the hashtag join in on Christmas Day. Um, Or even if you just need someone to talk to on Christmas Day, you you want that community, communal thing then hashtag join in is uh, a lovely thing. Anyway, here she is, the maestro, um, the great Rachel Paris. Uh, I'm joined by um, one of my favourite comedians, one of the great comedians, someone who's, uh, it's weird that I'm saying this in front of her, but someone who's broken through in a, in a major way in the past couple of years in particular. And, you know, we've known each other certainly since I started, best part of 10 years, I reckon. Yeah, you know? so long. Yeah, so... Uh, remember Ru- Ruby Tuesdays. Oh my god! I've got a story. So it's Rachel Paris. I've got. St- I've ever told this Ruby Tuesday story. Sorry, I ruined my own no. introduction. No, 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 not no. That was a delight. I, mean, I wish more people did that. I once played. So Ruby Tuesdays is an open was was an open mic night, and it was 
I'll swear straight away, so I'll click the explicit language. It could be fucking hard. Yeah. And uh, it, it was above a pub, Queenshead on Denman Street. Yeah, yeah. And uh, this is absolutely a true story. I might have told you this. So my name is James Gill, right? And I've had three instances of MCs getting it wrong. So I once did a gig somewhere in the middle of nowhere. The MC came up to me and said, James Gill. And I went, yep, James Gill. Thinking it's two syllables, dude. You can't get this wrong. And he went on stage and went, please welcome James Gill. <laughs> Why? Then, Why would that come out? <laughs> some, some, gig in, some gig in Camden that I don't think exists anymore. And it, it wasn't Celia Pecola, wasn't Felicity Ward, but it was an Aussie comedian. I've never, I don't think I've ever seen this girl yeah. since. And she went on stage, we'd never met each other before. And she went on stage and she went, um, she went, your next act is a re- really good friend of mine. And I'm, I'm stood behind the curtain thinking, what? No, you're not. She goes, a really good friend of mine. I love, I love hanging out with this guy and you're going to love him just as much as I love him. <laughs> Please welcome my great friend, Andy Gill. <laughs> Then, Such good friends. Yeah, we're like that. And then the, but then the worst one ever was, was Ruby Tuesday. Uh, I won't say who it was. <laughs> you definitely know her. Mm. And uh, she, it, Ruby Tuesday, there were like 20 acts on a bill because everyone's doing five minutes. And she had this piece of paper with all the, all the names written on it. And she looked at it and she went... Uh, your next act is one of my absolute. Oh my god, you're in for such a treat! I love, I love this act. It's one of my. And I was, and I was stood waiting to go on thinking, oh, that's so nice because you know, sure we've gigged with each other a few times, but favorite act? Wow, what, what an honour! Thank you. And so she goes, one of my absolute favorite act. Wow, you're in for a treat. It's and then she looked at the. This was legit. She wasn't like doing a bit. She looked at the paper and she went, oh no, sorry, no, it's not it's someone else. It's uh, James Gill. That's so harsh. Wow. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. No, no, sorry. Lower those expectations. Mind you, a lowered expectation can be an absolute gift uh, for a gig. Well, well, we were talking about the new Star Wars film. Yeah. Because my expectations were low. Yeah. I I, I love that. I'd give that full five stars, you know. I've loved nearly all the stars. Obviously not, you know, The the, the prequels. But... Even those I didn't hate them as much as everyone else did, and uh, you know, I, I suppose I'm not like I, I really, I really like Star Wars. I'm not like a diehard Star Wars fan, but I, I really love them. But I think I have quite, I'm very easy to please in terms of films. Like I am. as long as they're sufficiently, I like a long film, yeah, because I have a lot of <laughs> like I want it to be a really yeah, immersive experience. Yeah. So as long as it's long <laughs> and it's not like complete, I, as long as it's not too boring. Which they're really boring. Um, then then never, I'm, that's, then that's I'm pretty happy. Tripping. You know, I'm pretty happy. And as long as I know more or less what's going on, I think that's probably where I fall down most. Is with some films, I'm like, I do not understand what's happening. But generally, I really like. I've only I only watched one film recently that I was like, we ha- I actually had to stop watching, which was The Post, which with Tom Hanks. I quite I enjoyed that. Did you? I did yeah. I know it's like a really acclaimed high qual film. But I was so bored. I was like, oh, this is about two rival newspapers. And it's so boring. <laughs> I just couldn't get into it. Maybe I was in the wrong mood for it. It's on, it, oh, don't work for Amazon. It's on Amazon Prime Video, I think, if you want to watch it over Christmas. I think it's a legitimate, like, it's, I think it's won awards. I don't, I... But I'd rather have Pitch Perfect too. <laughs> sure. I, I, I think, I think they were, I never say anything negative. So I'm trying to say this, I'm trying to be as matter of fact as possible. I think they were hoping it would... Obviously, it was Hanks, Streep, Spielberg. Oh my god, what a cast! So I think the hope was it would hoover up every award ever, and I, and, be, and I don't think it 
quite panned out that way. I think, yeah, like. I think the subject matter is pretty tough. To hoover up the Oscars? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's a book about Star Wars that I reckon you would like by a guy called Chris Taylor. Mm. It's not a great title because it's not really what the book's about. How Star Wars Conquered the Universe. Mm. But the point he makes is what an unusual franchise it is because the fact... He can't think of anything else where the people who love it the most or hate it at the same time. <laughs> They're so critical so of it. It's so weird, isn't it? So they, yeah. they, they strongly strongly dislike nearly every movie yeah but yet love star wars so it is unusual isn't it it is it is really weird isn't it i'm thinking like, i'm saying i'm not a diehard i just remembered like i did a school presentation on star about wars star wars by choice when i was like 11 and yeah, i did watch the films a lot growing up and everything but i think that's what i don't have is i don't have i can't be a true star wars fan because i don't have that critical eye so bizarre that goes with it i love star wars but i hate it well may i ask i mean that takes me into the comedy actually were you with school presentations were you enjoy sounds like i'm taking the mickey and i'm not was it a case where you're actually enjoying them more than the other kids and thought there might be something in this um i didn't know that at the time um that there might be something in this but yeah i did in, i uh, me and like a few of my friends did enjoy them a bit more i think just the I think uh, I got very lucky. I think I went to a school with some really great teachers who gave us a lot of freedom to do like presentations on things and really go our own way. Amazing. And so I remember, yeah, just doing presentation. Oh my god, this is so, <laughs> this is so awful, and I hate my younger self. <laughs> but I remember we had completely free range to choose a topic, just to practice doing presentations. I suppose in English and anything. And me and my friend Emily <laughs> did one called "How to Be Mad." <laughs> How like, to be mad? As in, I'm a bit, a bit wacky. Yeah, and it was so cringe. Go on. What, you, what, what, what was deep? I can't cringe? remember. I think it just involved like silly walks and funny voices and how to make people think you're totally <laughs> insane. You know, before mental health had sure. struck any of us down. That was <laughs> back in those days. You could, yeah. I mean, you you could really freestyle with the word mad. Exactly. Exactly. It had had very different meanings, but um, you know, I'm sure there were a lot of. We 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 were we were nerds, me and my friends, and there was already a lot of eye rolling about us, I suppose. But um, yeah, I did. I enjoyed the presentations. Um, I want to know, please, please, just share one more thing about what 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 was deemed how to be mad. Um, so that you did funny walks. I seem to remember it involved doing an impression of Gary Barlow. Hang on, this but is. I, I, can't, to revisit I genuinely this. can't quite remember. I probably got it in a file in an attic somewhere, but I, I genuinely can't remember. Another thing, like me and my me and my friend, also Emily, did a, a parody of um, the Famous Five books called, which is now obviously overdone yeah. and in the shops. But yeah. we did it when we were fifteen, a full length Famous Five. We wrote it as a play called Five on Mystery Bent, and we killed off Timmy the dog on page one. <laughs> Because we thought I mean, you were ahead of your time here, <laughs> and we wrote a new character called Clifford the Vicar's Boy. And um, anyway, yeah, we had I had a very nice Think time about Joel at school. And, is it Joel and um, <laughs> Joel and Jason? Joel and Jason have hoovered up with the Ladybird. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I know. If only we'd got in there <laughs> quick enough and done not as good a job as they do. <laughs> um, but no, yeah, I really I enjoyed those aspects of school. I enjoyed speeches. If we ever had to do that, I enjoyed like little presentations and school plays. Did it got involved in all the school plays, and yeah, I I never thought, oh, I'll I'll be a, I should therefore definitely be a performer. I didn't think that, but I did think I enjoyed it at the time. But I didn't really know. I think 
there. I think like, I don't know if it's changed in time or if just I'm now in London and surrounded by performers. But when I was growing up, I didn't know anyone who thought of being a performer was a career you could have. It wasn't a thing anyone talked about. I didn't know anyone who was a performer as a career apart from Elaine Page, yeah. you know, and Michael Ball. I can totally Ball. relate to that. Do you know what I mean? I 100% do. Especially comedian. I did. I, I mean, I was. Like, I think I was like 31 when I got into yeah. comedy, which is, you know, Eddie Murphy was like, you know, yeah. three and a half years old. Exactly. Because I think he was 16. But anyway, because I thought comedy and performing was what Eric Morecambe did. Exactly. That's so what I thought. how dare I even think about, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's, that's not just, I mean, I'm not alone there. That's, uh, the fact that you're saying it as well. Isn't that sad that we were like, well, it, I mean, how, how dare we even think about it? I know. Why? why can't but I don't think you like do. That? And then I, I got thinking the other day about, like, you know, like acting dynasties. And you think, well, that makes sense. Because totally. it takes the um, assumption that being an actor is a viable career is a really odd view. And you could only, you'd only really... If your mum's Vanessa Redgrave. Exactly. Think, yeah. Or, oh. or like James Fox or someone, then like then you're like, oh, I can go into acting because that's a thing that you can do. But if you're not, then you don't grow up with that as a possibility. And again, you'd, you'd think, no, that's what Will Smith does. Yeah. You wouldn't Yeah, think. that's it. So it took, it took me a long time as well. It's really. a big... It's a big step. It's a big leap, isn't it? So, yeah. You know. So what? When? When? When did? When did you get? When were you getting the first laughs? You know. When did you realise? Um, I got a few laughs in school. Yeah. But never, like I said, I didn't think of being a comedian as a thing. Not to the so. point where you're thinking sell out tour. No. <laughs> but um, I did enjoy it. But I thought I'm I'm funny amongst my friends. But I didn't think being funny was a thing I would do publicly necessarily. Um. Uh, and then it wasn't until so I went to uni and did music and then I worked for a bit for a few years um, I did commute and do a uh, drama uh, degree as well but even then um, my drama teacher did not think I was funny at all and told me so and then it was what? only when yeah she said uh, what did she say I wasn't was I doing too much or not enough can't quite remember but I was getting it wrong Um and then it was only when I joined uh, the Oxford Imps, uh, which wasn't when I was at Oxford. It was year. It was I was living in Oxford, working, and I joined an improv group, and um, that was the first time really that I was like, "Oh, I'm I'm I can be funny." Did you go to Oxford? Yeah, I did not. I did not know that. I I yeah. got my Rachel Paris history wrong. Well, I don't. I try and I'm, I, I don't. You know, I'm part of the Oxbridge. Uh, conspiracy com- comedy, <laughs> evil Oxbridge elite. <laughs> so I don't. The great wanna... thing about that, the whole e- evil, is that it's been proved to be absolute bollocks. Hasn't it? <laughs> yeah. I think there was a documentary about all of this, and yeah. back in the eighties, if you were, I nearly named names. There. I don't want to name names. Mind you, I'm sure they're on the documentary. Yeah. But in the eighties, if you graduated as part of Footlights or, or the Imps, yeah. The, you know what? There probably was a strong chance the BBC might yeah. give you a sitcom. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not been true since the. Everything's, yeah, I think just so many things have changed. Like, I think the footlights churns out some people, but like, so do Bristol, Warwick, Dur- like sure. Durham, every, uh, like, loads of universities um, have sketch. But now, improv is the, in the last 10 years, even 15 years, like, improv is the big um, uh, creating talent machine at universities, I think. And improv Did not know that again. is in nearly every university every kind of like um 
technical college, every kind of like any any kind of educational institution. It's thriving so much in this. Really? Country. Yeah, and there's little improv groups springing up all over the country. So it's um, it's not exclusive. It's not an exclusive thing. It's it's everywhere. What co- what caused that? What what was it more than? I'm not again. It sounds like I'm being glib. But was it? We did whose line is it? Because no, that, that's before then, isn't it? Whose line is it? I don't honestly know. Um, I don't know if it like. Just when Ryan the Stiles was the funniest person in the universe, I think he still is. Yeah, sure. <laughs> as soon as I said uh, past tense, I regretted it immediately. Yeah, he's so when good. I, when, that, when he was over in Blighty, yeah, early nineties. Yeah, yeah. My, my brain could not compute how remarkable he was, that but he's still so smashing funny. it in America. Yeah. Have you ever met him? No, I haven't. I did Whose Line. Such a naive question, wasn't it? Well, no, it's not, because I did I did do Whose Line for the first time, this Edinburgh Fringe. Yes, they have, like, guest people did. come on. So there are a few of us who were like, oh, my God, I can't believe I get to do this. So we did it with, like, Greg Proops, Jesus. Mike McShane, and Clive hosting. These are titans of, of improv. It was amazing. Show, what, you know. um, not Colin Mockery or Ryan Styles, but, like, it was... And, like, I do the comedy store players as well with, like, Josie Lawrence and people. So it's, ama- it's an incredible world to be in I think people still think Ryan Stiles is like the king of comedy he was he, he was um, he was extraordinary and him and Mockery had such an amazing chemistry as well didn't they so much chemistry and I think as well there's a like this sounds this sounds a bit wanky but the, what they do on that show and what is true of my favourite kind of improv is there's a sort of purity to it that yeah. there's no there's really not any darkness there and I think that's what that's so true. Can be so nice to watch is just this kind of um, pure naivety kind of way of beha- of and behaving. Silliness in the best way just possible. Just so silly and absurd, and a bit like I used to love um, Reeves and Mortimer growing up, and that's the, that, that's never it's that same purity. Yeah, it's yeah. just straight up stupid, and that's what's so nice nice to watch. So, when do you, what made you think that you were? So you've already graduated Oxford. You were working. What were you working as? Oh god, everything! Cocktail waitress worked in a music shop uh, that sold like CDs, books, and musical <laughs> small instruments. What did you do as a degree? Music, classical music. Well, yeah, it was like music, but mainly classical music, uh, like history and analysis and all that kind of thing. With... So, so, in the Rachel Paris biopic, mm. I'd like to throw my hat in the ring for the lead role. Yeah, yeah, you're in. Obviously. I'll get you seen at least. <laughs> get me seen. <laughs> Um, was the, was this the were these the struggle the struggling years then? Um, well, yeah, but I didn't really think of them as struggling, although my apparently my parents did. Sure. <laughs> yeah, so um, I did uni, um, which uh, was which was good, which was, I really enjoyed it. Um, it was a very very academic degree, which suited me. Yeah, fine, I I like that, and um, I also then did a lot of acting during uni. And a lot of like jazz and singing and musical theatre and that kind of thing as much as I could. And then I just had no idea what to do after uni. Absolutely not a clue. I knew I knew I would like to have a go at performing, but I had like no idea what kind of performing. And so I got a job. I never went back home at all. I I got a job. Um, <laughs> it was a really weird. This is just going to sound completely implausible. Only in Oxfordshire could this happen, but there was a job outside of Oxford in a church which hired like ex music graduates to sing twice on a Sunday for them and in return give them incredibly cheap rent. 
And it's still there and that's still happening. That's incredible. And it's like going back in time. It was like being in the 1930s. And we and you went for tea with the vicar on a Sunday and you had put your robe on and you sang this classical music in a big church, big but, but relatively poor church. And then you got to live in this house with all these choir people, with like four of you. And I was I lived there for three years while working in a bookshop, working as a drama tutor, a cocktail waitress, everything, anything I could find, um, and uh, not knowing what to do with my life, really. And then I moved to London. But do, do you look back on that as a really fond... I mean, it sounds, it sounds like something from a G. I I do. I loved it. I loved, I, loved the, I loved the choir situation. It was weird and wonderful and unique. And um, Blackwell's Music, the shop I worked in, was a fantastic place to work. Um, and I feel like I learned... And then when I moved to London, I moved to London with like no... with £300 in the bank and no job, hoping that I'd get a job. Yeah. And... I did. I took the first job I got offered, which was working for a stagecoach in Stevenage, which was awful. I had to get up at 5am to get to Stevenage because I was living in Ealing. Oh my. <laughs> and then I got a better job, um, which was in administration for an opera company, Arts Admin. Then I went... What were you doing at the stagecoach? Uh, teaching singing, musical theatre. Uh, and then I was teaching piano all through this at night. So I'd have a day job in the day, I'd be working in arts admin. Then I moved to the Barbican and the Royal Opera House doing arts admin. And then I'd go and teach privately in people's homes piano until like seven o'clock, say. So that was the next like two years living in London. So yeah, I had like these sort of like five years of just finding out what the hell to do with my life. And obviously you've got to earn money. But I um, God, I'm talking a lot. Sorry. No, not so. I mean, that's a podcast. No, this is, this is a, a dream, I, I can assure you. But actually, um, during all those years, including uni and those years, what I was doing was learning so many different things that have helped me in life. I learnt invoices. I learnt how to do my own website. I learnt how to write copy, uh, a good emailing system for getting in touch with people, how hard it was to get an agent and to get gigs. Because, um, I was, you know, I was dealing with opera singers and conductors and all these different things. And on the side, uh, I was getting better at the piano and having the odd singing lesson and doing jazz and musical theatre and little gigs. Um, and so when I came to comedy, doing musical comedy, I was I was comfy on the stage. Yeah with a piano, yeah. and I knew how to do the other side of it a bit. Because the other side of it is much bigger than people realise. The other side of it is huge. So much of being a performer is admin. Yeah. And it is is so much about being organised. Um, but, yeah, the the I remember this... Oh, this is going to make me sound like an absolute prick, but it did happen. Um, I, went, I went in for... Um, one of those, um, to be fair, maybe they were just lying, but I went in for who, um, what's the big um, Edinburgh comedy competition? Um, so, oh, you so, think, you think so you think you're funny. And I had a really good gig, yeah. like it went really, really well for one of the heats and I got through to the next round. And after, oh no, it was it was the night that I did get through and one of the big important ladies in comedy who runs that Means said to me, yeah, said to me, um, we weren't going to put you through because we don't because it's for newcomers. This competition, she said, we don't believe that you're a newcomer. We d you don't act like a newcomer on the stage, 
and she was re- she wow. nearly didn't put me through for that. And I said, well, I am. I started doing comedy six months ago, um, which is a lot less than most people in that competition. And That's such a compliment. It's such a compliment, but it was so frustrating because I was like, so I'm just, the thing is like, yeah, I'm, I'm all right. On the, I'm not shaking with nerves. You know, my voice isn't breaking. Um, You're almost punished for being too good early on then. Like too comfy in a way. Um, not looking, I don't know, new, new enough. But it's because I wasn't because... As you, you went into comedy at 31. I went into it at like, I don't know, 26, having done all sorts of different things. So I, I, I was nervous, but I wasn't falling off the stage with fright, you know. Because that's one thing you and I can spot now, mm. is some acts will have... And this sound, I sound like the, some sort of smug, wise old man, but it, it, not, I don't mean to. You can spot the new act sometimes because the material might be there... But the, you can see the mic is yeah, shaking the hand, of or course, the, and that's totally natural. Like we're all in that, you know, when you first get on the stage. But there's different ways to learn the craft, and some people go comedy straight away. But a lot of people like me, they've, they've, you've done other things before you go into comedy, so you've got other things to draw on. I don't know about you, but I, I always think that again, I won't name names. I could call this the not naming names podcast. <laughs> but some comedians who've got into it from their teenage years, I know. I've had enough of it, or they. Oh, that's interesting. They get frazzled, or they're like, "Really?" This. Whereas, because you and I, right, I know twenty six isn't. You know, it's not like we're. I'm not. It's not like we're in our sixties. But I think I, I love it now more than ever. Yeah. Because I got into it older, and so because I, I had such a passion for it. Yeah. Whereas I think some, it's it's typically lads who say this. Whereas <laughs> some lads, I think part of them wishes they were doing something else by now. That's interesting. I think it depends as well. What if you are willing to change what you do, because you might get bored of what you've been doing for 10 years. Yeah. But you can change your thing. Yeah. Potentially a bit, like your style, um, your material, the kind of material you cover. Um, Absolutely. Like I've, by (laughs) the fact, I've got this theory that like, there are some people that are born comedians that are like, uh, so naturally uh, funny um, outgoing, is he like Ray Badron. No, Aussie guy. Is he like one of them? I think Patrick Monaghan is the perfect example of this. Or uh, I once emailed Phil Nichols' agent to, to make this point. I mean, it's such a compliment. I don't know how it was taken. If 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 stand-up comedy was banned, you know, some of us could turn our hands to other things. Mm-hmm. I think Phil Nickel would be a bit fucked because, <laughs> and I mean, it's because he's such a comedian. That's exactly what I mean. Yeah. People who you can't imagine them doing anything else. I mean, as soon as I said that, I realised that he's been a huge success in the West End <laughs> as part of Jamie. But you, you, know, you know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. And then I think there's people like me who have chosen it and learnt it. And therefore, I won't get bored of it because I keep learning how to do it and I haven't got there yet. And I'm learning. And I'll learn one aspect of it and then I'll have to learn another aspect of it. And so for me, I think it's going to be like a lifelong process of going, okay, you've got that. And then I'm sure you've had this where you learn, (laughs) you'll do one year and you'll be like, oh, I've got my, I've, I've learned how to open a show, which for me is the hardest thing. Yeah, yeah. And then um, you lose it. You lose it. Those jokes stop working. You lose confidence as an opener. You completely can't do that anymore for like a couple of years, <laughs> and you have to completely relearn how to do it. I've done that where I've wanted to focus on a certain thing, yeah, 
and have then taken my eye off the ball on the things that I thought was previously good at. Mm. So I, I, I wanted to stop playing so many games with the audience. Oh, but it's so nice. To do more out-and-out crowd work <laughs> without leaving the stage or what have you. And then went back to do a game after what felt like forever. Yeah. The little voice in my head was like, oh, you don't have to do it anymore. You know, but yeah, 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 you, yeah. You've always got to, with comedy, you, you almost need to always have all those plates spinning at the same time because if you neglect one of them, it, it probably will fall, won't Absolutely. it? Absolutely, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but no, I, I, but I love it and have so much respect for it as well. Well, now, be, now before Matt, so I know for a lot of our listeners, MASH will, will have been the big breakthrough, but... Before that, when was the breakthrough? When did you think th- this could actually be a viable career option? Was there a, was there a breakthrough moment in that regard? Um, I think I got uh, I think I got hopeful uh, after my actually my first solo gig. Um, I got a little boost of hope with that. So bearing in mind, I've been doing all this acting un- yep. unpaid <laughs> jazz, unpaid, yeah. always unpaid for for years and years, and then. Uh, and did improv unpaid, um, and I did an improv show in London as well. See, isn't that fascinating? Because I, I used to play foot before I got into comedy. I used to play football on a Monday night, yeah. five aside, and then I got into it, and I'd say, "Oh, I've got, I'm stopping now because I'm doing more comedy," and they'd go, "Cool, you know what's the money like?" And I go, "No, no, I don't, I don't get, no, paid. don't get paid for it." And it's like <laughs> in an eighties movie that the 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 needle on the record would have scratched yeah. as these lads around a table went, "What?" Yeah, you know they couldn't fathom that for the first. Yeah, two, three, years. four years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're not going to receive a penny. No, absolutely, and it, it was like that. Um, I had a bit of a weird going to. I couldn't do as many open mics as a lot of people because of the keyboard. So, um, for those of your listeners who I don't remember know, this, I remember this firsthand though. The keyboard was Ruby so... Bloody Tuesdays hated me. So, like, because um, I didn't, I, I very much started out in comedy doing musical comedy songs with a little bit of stand up on the side, and that's changed. Yeah, uh, the ratio of that has changed. Um, now over the years but when I started out I really didn't have an act without my keyboard and a, and a song um so uh the the first uh so I did I was doing improv and I I basically tricked my way into my first gig um and said I am a comedian yeah. as if I was a gigging comedian I'd never done it before um I knew I had a few a couple of funny songs up my sleeve and I wrote a little bit of other stuff and luckily, it was an absolute gift for a comedian like me because it was this very artsy, unusual variety comedy show in East London. Um, they had a piano there, and it was the perfect setting for what for what I do for a newcomer and yeah. um, what I do. And it was twenty minutes for a first gig. What <laughs> twenty minutes slot for your first ever comedy gig? Oh my god! <laughs> to be fair, I think I did fifteen, uh, which was plenty, but like. Um, you know, and I got I got a few friends in, but uh, there was a scout from the Funny Women competition. I can't, but I, I still can't get over this. <laughs> the twenty minutes, your first ever gig. Yeah, there's five minutes for your first ever gig. It can be an eternity. Be quite hard. I will. Say, I know you mustn't say this, but with songs, it's easier to fill the time. You know, could um, to me next gig with a ukulele. Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. So I did like yeah. It was a real. It, it was it was a real. Um, hard starter really but funny women were there nice gig but a long gig but anyway funny women were there she came up to me after the gig she said I loved what you did you should enter the competition the heats um, and even that was like okay and then I entered the heats got through got through and got to the final and then got um, a runner up prize um, with Gemma Whelan Gemma Whelan oh my god that final 2010 was um, Jess Foster Q 
Helen Arney, me, Alison Thea Scott, yeah. Gemma Whelan, um, and um, oh god, I'm missing out someone huge. Um, <laughs> we all and we all um, became friends uh, in in that and, and still are uh, very close. And so, th- w- getting doing well at, at my first competition, and then I entered others. All those little competitions. They, they. I don't know if it's like a school hangover from like I respond well to prizes, but like that made me feel like I'm I'm getting somewhere. Did you do well in the competitions? I did. Yeah, I didn't like. What, did I win? I didn't win any, but I got to the final of like four. I scored to pieces in some of them. Did you? Mm. Yeah. I got to a couple of semi-finals, Amused Moose and Leicester Square. Oh yeah. Um, but no, I didn't. I just, I didn't really enjoy them. They weren't. They weren't an easy atmosphere. I don't think. It depends, but like some of them, you know. I've not thought about those for years. A I panel mean, of judges. I was then transported back. <laughs> <laughs> twenty yeah, it's about twenty ten through twenty eleven, twelve. You do these new act competitions. Yeah, 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 yeah. There's like laughing. There was a list, wasn't there, of all of them? So there's laughing like horse. funny women, not for you. Um, laughing horse, amused moose. Leicester Square, new comedian. Um, Hackney Empire, new act. Oh, yeah. uh, there's a Reading one as well, wasn't there? Yeah, there's a, there's quite a few to do. Um, so and then I got an uh, I got an agent after about um, a year and a half through Tom, but it was an acting agent first of all, through which Tom. wasn't any good for me. Tom Rosenthal was so nice. I did a little play with him, yeah. unpaid, and. Um, <laughs> He was. We were sitting backstage at this play, and I was playing his girlfriend. And he was so nice. He was already doing so well. He's a lovely boy, isn't he? Such a kind boy. And he said, "What are you up to, Rachel?" And I, you know, how's your career going? And I said, "Well, I'm doing this comedy, you know, and a, a few plays and stuff. Still working, you know, at the arts admin and everything." And he said, he was annoyed, and he said, "That's ridiculous." I can totally. I'm going to put you onto my agent. You you're know, you're agent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's more like Josh Whittacombe. <laughs> And he called up his agent and did me a favour and I got in with her. She was great. And then I went to another agent and then ended up with my current agent, who's the best. Are you joking? No. So after a year and a half, you signed with Sophie? No, no, no. After a year and a half, I signed with that first agent. Oh, sorry, right. That was Tom's. And then like a year later, someone else. And then uh, basically, I signed I signed with Sophie about, um, where are we? Uh, 2019, 20th. Uh, 2013 oh it was ages ago actually 2013 amazing and then Gemma Whelan you, uh, it's my fault I'm going to interrupt you but Gemma Whelan to, to a lot of you will know from Game of Thrones yes um, and everything and everything I mean, and everything <laughs> else yeah sorry I, Gemma if you're listening I apologise profusely um, I went to see her one woman play the Chastity Butterworth or no, I know, uh, I the proper the series play the super series one yeah. and uh, just she's incredible extraordinary. she's so amazing I think um, and she's great in Upstart Crow as well. She's going to be in the West End. That's right, yeah. With Rob Rouse. Yes. Yeah, so nice. Um, that's an amazing thing that they're doing there, getting the cast back together. So then, so then, oh, so sorry, the, so the hope was that first gig and the funny women, funny woman saying. Yeah, it was really. I think any, whatever your first competition was, if people start saying, yes, this, this is working, what you're doing, in a way that nothing else had previously, you know, um, Sort Life of, does nudge you in those directions, doesn't it? That's mm. it. That's it. It goes, oh, you're doing well at this, so follow this. And then I did start... It helped with the music. You can kind of bridge comedy and cabaret. 
and yeah. cabaret does start to pay sooner than comedy does. Really? A little bit, yeah. But um, but I, I started getting uh, paid a little, like, you know, 20 quid or something, 30 quid, here and there after about um, maybe like a year, I think. And that was like, okay, let's see how... Let's see how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> just kept, just kept going. And then, and then, how did how did Mash come about? Then Mash was just one of many. It was so random. Is it just a case what of it's become throwing darts at the board and one completely. And that's the one that hit the so that was me and Ellie Taylor. I've been such a f- and I'd also on a personal level to selfish bring it back to me. I say this with from the very bottom of my heart. I've been such a huge fan of yours as a human being and as a comedian. Oh, so thanks. when the Mash report breakthrough happened, I was so. Probably the only person who was happier than you about the Mash Report was, was me. I was, I was so thrilled, and you deserved it so much. And for that to be such a breakthrough is... Um, didn't mean to hit my microphone, as I said. <laughs> got very Italian there. Um, it was just joyous. One of the one of the great things. So just, you know, well... I mean, I know I've said it before, but well done. Just Thank fantastic. you. Thanks. I love the... I do love the, the origin story of it. Is It really is that of the underdog. Like, so the, we made a little teaser trailer of it for Chris Stott is basically the, the creator of it. And he had this idea with the Daily Mash years, years before they so made it. you had to audition and that's how you got it then? Um, did I... Or were you approached? Audition for the trailer. Um, basically, it was like a... I can't quite remember, but... they oh, the trailer they came made, before the TV show? They made a teaser for it about three years before they made the pilot. Did not know that. Um, right. This was before Nish was involved. It was like Ellie Taylor and me... And uh, I played like a reporter on that one, sort of like out in the field. Yes. Um, and uh, Steve, who plays yeah. the, uh, Ellie's counterpart as well. Um, so we made it was literally like just a little three minute thing. It got sent around the TV channels. All of them said no. Nothing came of it. And it was just one of those many hundreds of little jobs that you do mm. in your career that you just think, well, that's gone away. It went away. And then... When the BBC said we want a topical new show, there were. Um, I wonder how secret this is. I, I think everyone's talked about it enough now, haven't they? For I think it not so. Secret. The, well, I'm thinking of the show with. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll be discreet. Basically, there were three pilots made. As your friend, I'd say, err on the side. <laughs> err on the side of caution. There were there were three pilots made for this BBC uh, commission. They wanted a. Now, from my vantage, I'm just going to excuse this. I, I, this is my sparkling uh, water addiction coming to the floor here. As a, as that's going to blow. As a non-drinker, this is a, a, as exciting as, uh, as it gets me. I prefer sparkling water to pop. I think sparkling water is so horrid. I think it tastes weird. That didn't go the way I was expecting. Really? <laughs> yeah. I don't. It, it tastes of like metal. Mm, delicious metal. <laughs> right. So there were there were. Oh yeah, because I because I thought. The BBC were, were looking for... And I was wrong, obviously. I thought they wanted a, a Saturday Night Live type show. Well, no one really knew what they wanted. Right. And I think loads of people thought it was Saturday Night Live type show. Um, I'm sure Saturday Night Live inspired all of the submissions they had. And basically, the other two submissions featured much more high-profile, experienced comics who would draw an instant viewership. And so... We really we made the pilot. We knew it was a good pilot, but we really all had incredibly low expectations that it would get picked up. So when it got not only picked up but got like a second series and a third, it was so it was just such a surprise. And it's it really feels like such a privilege to be working on like yeah, like you know the the only new 
satirical BBC show um, of the last few years. M- mentally, how did you I think I've asked this off 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 mm. uh, off stage and off mic. I, I wouldn't ask you it on stage. Uh, Rachel, well, I'm, before I bring all the next acts, I just, want to, I just want to ask you a question. Ridiculous thing to say. How do you cut mentally? Because you get, you went from being, you know, very well respected but relatively unknown comedian, yeah, yeah, and then all of a sudden, you are this the breakout viral star with millions and millions of people worldwide watching not just watching these clips loving sharing commenting on how on earth did did you cope with that <laughs> um i would say i'm still coping with it now <laughs> uh, not very well basically um in the uh i think at the time i didn't know what to do with it and i think it's the kind of thing that might sound like a smaller uh, deal from the outside than it was um, to me. And I think even myself, I only realised what a big deal it was, what a big life change that had been in a, a year later. Um, so just going, like you say, from like having quite a steady life by that point, you know, I was living in a rented little flat with a flatmate. I was doing gigs at night. I was still doing my school, teaching the piano work in the daytime and I was very <laughs> so you had quite you had quite you had pretty content, quite a nice life, quite a nice life. Yeah. um but low profile like you say um and then to go from that to kind of there was uh, what what came with the um viral aspect of those apart from some incredible messages from people that I respect across the world people yeah. like Caitlin Moran and Paul Feig just so the words um, I have Paul Feig yeah no. that was amazing um Eric Idle um Gosh. people like that like which was uh, Anna Kendrick who I love um honestly Anna Kendrick was one of the ones that it was so out of the ballpark that I saw that she followed me and she'd liked something me and Nish had tweeted. And I went into the office of the Mash Report and I was like, Nish, Anna Kendrick follows us both. And I messaged her, total fangirl, going, Hi, Anna Kendrick. Um, I just, I'm glad you liked the tweet we did. <laughs> I just wanted to say, I think you're really cool. My favourite films you've done are Into the Woods, Pitch Perfect, and The Last Five Years. I think you've got a beautiful voice. Bye. <laughs> she Aww. replied saying, um, um, uh, Rachel, it's so nice to meet you. It's so great to hear from you. I'm a huge fan of The Mash Report. Uh, you and Nish are amazing. I um, uh, hope to like see more of it. Oh she gosh. was so nice. And that was the most, I like screenshotted it and sent it to everyone. Have you met her? No, I haven't met her. Um, I'd love to meet her. Recently, I think if I met her, I'd be extremely embarrassing. Um, have you met have you met someone post mash where you not even post mash where you have in the loveliest way possible embarrassed yourself by going to pieces yeah um i went to uh the me and nish presented a bafta um and so we got to hang out backstage at the baftas and met a host of very very famous people um many of whom were like very very famous but i didn't feel like as excited about as some others. One person that said she liked what I did, which was a real thing, was Hayley Atwell, who I think is absolutely incredible. Um, But the people I really freaked out about, and they didn't know who I was, were the (laughs) two people in um, 
Outlander. <laughs> Katrina Valve. <laughs> Katrina Valve, yeah. Um, and, oh, and um, not Richard Roxburgh. But God, I can't believe I've forgotten his name. It'll come back to me. Anyway, um, so I saw them together and they're just these so just beautiful, dignified, tall people. And I was like, <laughs> I just went, oh, my God, it's you. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't know who I was. I was just a fan would... short girl <laughs> running at them. Emotions of security. Yeah, I've got a um, I've got a selfie with them, which looks so funny. Me standing next to these two in the middle of the two Amazons, looking a bit scared and confused. And I just I'm going, I'm <gasps> just smiling and grinning my face off. She's great, isn't she? I love her. She was it on the was... podcast a few weeks ago. Was she? she Is was. she really nice? She was incredibly nice. Oh, I think she's that movie's great. As a Yorkshireman, I struggle to say. Are you supposed to say? Obviously, I want to say Les Man, Le Mans, but it's Le Mans '66. Oh right, yeah. But I, but I keep turning it into like a, some sort of running. And you don't want to accidentally say Mons. Le Mans, Le Mans '66. <laughs> but she's really good in that, and she was fantastic on the podcast. And then that episode in particular, I don't know if I've said this before, it's already it's only been out a few weeks. It's already one of the most popular episodes we've ever done is it? because she shared it which helps but then the, the outlander fans ah uh, and uh, sam hewan sorry oh i would never have got actually, that yeah am i missing a treat with outlander then uh no i don't think you are um in, i feel like it, it's a gr- mm, i don't want to say i don't make this insulting to the people who are involved but for me it's just like i'm such a huge fan of like historical somehow mix of like history and sci-fi sure. and fantasy and unless that's you're your into all the that's thing, my yeah. absolute it's ticking sure. so many boxes for me and it's such a sexy show as well um that like but it's only sexy if you're into yeah, sure. <laughs> all of those things but like i just think it's brilliant um but i think if it's not exact if it's not like no fair enough it, it's absolutely brilliant and you are missing out but equally um i, no, do, think, I do think it's specifically amazing for um people who love that kind of thing once you'd uh, calmed down from the, the fangirl moment with it, was it all fine then? Yeah, it was fine. She, I mean, she was so she was so kind to a weird stranger uh, shouting at her. I wanted um, to our mutual friend Ashling B. I yeah. said, I said, I almost feel racist asking you this because yeah. you are. There is an assumption that all Irish people know each other. Yeah. And so I was apologetically saying, so what I'm about to say here is ridiculous, ridiculous because yeah. I know that the answer is obviously no, but yeah. uh, Katrina Balfe was on the podcast recently and was thoroughly lovely. And I, I just wondered if you knew each other. And I was like braced for, you know, and then she went, oh yeah, yeah, of course, yeah, of course we are. <laughs> <laughs> to, be, to be fair though, Ashley knows everyone. So. This is, I mean, this is also, uh, this is also very true. Um, In answer to your question um, about the sudden, I'm going to say fame, even though that's not quite what it was, but it was, it was, it was, it was fame. It was, was very, it very intense, high? short-lived fame for like a few months, and then that fame has, has chilled out a bit. But like, but it's chi- if it has chilled out, the bar is inc- much much yeah, higher, though, isn't it? Yeah, and I think now it's what it beca- what it gave me, which was absolutely incredible. Was um, I loved like connecting to the people I connected to, who were very positive about it, which was amazing. Um, and you have a fan base who who get you as well, don't you? I do. Yeah, I do. They're, they're amazing. And um, I think what we've spent the last year trying to do is sort of go, if you like what I do on the MASH report, and they have, uh, come and see what I do live, you know, which may not be as um, news-based uh, and may have a song or two in it every so often. Um See what I do when I'm improvising, 
these are the other things that I do that aren't the MASH report. So I'm so, I love doing the MASH report, but kind of going to people, you're, uh, because people who love that are very are fierce fans mm-hmm. of it and they number extremely highly. And for some of them, it's just the political side of it that they're into. So they don't care about all that other stuff, which is absolutely fine. Um, but for other people, if they are comedy fans going, do you do you want to see me doing these other things? And mostly the answer has been yes, which has been the for me just such a joy to get to do a tour where the tickets actually sold <laughs> it was such a treat so Rachel, I got to go on tour oh. and have an audience who actually booked deliberately <laughs> not just because they wanted to get out of the house on a Wednesday they actually wanted to see I me to see you. and then on the whole I think that's worked they've been like oh yeah you're you're funny doing that as well, and we like that as well. I don't know why Nick Kroll is bringing to mind, but it's, I love I love Nick. Kroll. But I would compare it to a bit like imagine if you watched the league in America yeah. and you become a Nick Kroll fan, and then you go see Nick Kroll Nick Kroll live. Yeah, it's, it's different to what he's doing in the league. Yeah, but you're still going to enjoy Nick Kroll. Mm-hmm. It's that sort of mm-hmm. you know, it's not because again, I'm not going to name I'm not going to name names, but there have been people in comedy where they've got a TV gig, let's say in a sitcom. And it's so far removed from their live persona yeah. that these people have bought tickets to go see them live, yeah. and have, the, the the brain has almost not been able to comprehend the gulf in the difference between the live yeah. show and the sitcom. I know our friend um, Nick Helm had a bit of that with Uncle. Yes, I know he said like people, not that not that those he's not a million miles apart from, but it is a character that he's playing. And there was the odd person who, so obviously, would have got a lot of fans. Very positive fans yeah. by her uncle, but yeah, I think there were one or two who it was. It was almost as if they were expecting un- like, uh, Uncle Andy to walk on, yeah, and like do scenes, do scenes, <laughs> and come with a nephew. This isn't exactly the same as this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Where, where's Errol? Um, but yeah, and I guess because it, it dovetails nicely, doesn't it, with, with what you do? It does. But it was an. It was a time where basically I felt I felt very unrooted and like there was. Um, it was the it was the period where I was basically being sort of answering for the controversy of the program, if you like, and I had no idea how to do that and felt really scared of it. Um, I'm not a naturally yeah. controversial person, and, you, and I don't not, like confrontation. So there's that thing. You, you, I don't either. Yeah, someone was. I felt. I mean, they might have their own version. I thought someone was unnecessarily hostile to me and another chap at this mm. movie. This morning and i went to they were being so hostile i actually put my headphones in because it was too much yeah and i saw my own hands trembling (laughs) i found my wife afterwards and it was like such a reminder i think when i was younger there was a bit more fire i think i probably loved confrontation but now Mm. i'm 41 married with children it's it's literally the last thing that i want and i think you're we're similar like that aren't we? yeah i i really it's not and i do think there are comics that are more comfortable with it that that give seek it give let seek it and just give less of a shit about what people think which i think is incredibly admirable but i am not one of those people and i never intended to do anything particularly um shocking i didn't think yeah. what we were saying well the thing is i didn't think what we were saying was very shocking to be honest um i still don't especially uh but when it came to you know the sort of um the sexual harassment stuff the trump morgan stuff to be suddenly sort of doing the PR rounds of interviews with people going, you're a shock 
you're a shock comic. You're trying to... You're like, um, You're having a go at this person. You're pulling down the system and all this. And I was like, I don't think I meant to. Um, like, whilst being like, of course, Trump is like a terrible, appalling person. Of course, Piers Morgan's views are abhorrent on this subject. <laughs> like, without uh, disowning that, which, of course, is, is what everything sprang from... At the same time, I felt very exposed and I wasn't used to it and I felt very scared. And it was my so my first taste of um, attention. No one prepares you for that either. No one prepares you for that. And do you go on like a media training course or anything like that? No, nothing, nothing. And see, that's yeah. And so, yeah, I felt and that made me very going ahead with the mass report then made me really um, scared of what we'd write, of what the reaction would be. Um, So I think. I think it was it was an interesting like journey for me of like getting getting used to people being shocked, which I've never had to experience before by things I'm saying. I mean, and I was like, is this shocking? I didn't really know that. And I, I don't want to I really hate upsetting people. Um and uh yeah, I just I don't I don't enjoy I don't really enjoy the confrontation that much. Um so yeah, that that's been like a really interesting journey of being like, you know, so I care about this subject, I care about this subject, yeah. I want to say this, but I don't want to say this. And then, of course, you're you're trying to match the tone of what you would say yourself on it, uh, your writing style, with the writing style of, of the Daily Mash and what the programme's um, uh, editorial ambitions yeah, are, yeah, yeah. you know. So it's a really, it's a wonderful thing to work on. It's a really, you know, great team. Um, Nish is extraordinary on it, as you know, like, he is you know, uh, the performing helm of that show, the way he deals with the audience. One of the great orators. He really <laughs> yeah, is. He really, he's, is. He really is like Underrated the dad orator. of the show. Like he's he's amazing and he, he really takes care of everyone. On, um, on a live stage and on the MASH report, I mean, I, I mean, to be fair, almost exclusively on the MASH report, but on stage as well, um, when, he, when he talks at, say, 90 miles an hour mm. with passion, but yet also while being funny... Yeah, I think he's he's astonishing, isn't he? He's absolutely amazing and he cares so much about that show. He really is across the whole thing. And what people don't see on the TV show is he's been... he There is uh, Mark, the brilliant Mark Olver does, does the warm-up mm. for the show. But then he introduces Nish and Nish talks to the audience for 15 minutes before the cameras start rolling. You know, he tells us what the show is. He bigs up all of the other performers and he... See, I think that counts for a lot when when it when counts for so it. much. It bridges he's the so, gap between a, the show yeah. and the audience. Yeah, it does make it does make a real difference. Yeah, because they don't hosts don't do that on every show. No, I know. Well, that, that's the thing. Like when I've guested on other shows, I've noticed like that's that's unusual. It's just something that he does to make it to make it special and and it makes it sort of warmer. Like that he's make it warmer, hosting yeah. that he's comparing the night, I suppose. Because um, then the audience the audience were there that night. Do think I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that any host is is being uh, cunning when they're doing this, and it's just a nice thing to do. But the audience then think we're mates, we're friends with this show, mm. and, it, it, and then that translates at home. Mm. I, don't know why, I, don't, I don't know why more people don't have a little chat with the yeah. crowd beforehand. Yeah, it bridges that divide, doesn't it? Yeah. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices 
down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I suppose everyone's just knackered. (laughs) I mean, there is that as well. I'm not sure. Yeah. Um, and then, and then, success in your in your in your own right. I mean, that's that's been wonderful as well, hasn't it? You yeah. know, because obviously, you're not just going on tour. These the, the tours are selling out. You know, but as you say, people are coming out to see you. I mean, it's um, that that's that's wonderful. And you're only getting bigger as well, aren't you? It's felt so good. So I feel like there was like a year of madness. Is how I see it. Yeah. Like last year, um, not not this year gone. Like I would say, 2018 was insane it began with the viral things i also met the love of my life who i recently married the same week i didn't meet but got together with the same week that those things went viral at the time when the second thing went viral was when we were like moving in together everything like my life changed so much (laughs) that year it was absolutely insane so that year was just absolutely bonkers um and this year, 2019, has been a process of kind of taking all of those brilliant things and putting them into a life that I, a career that I recognise um, and that feels like like me. So, like the Mash Report is such a brilliant show to work on, um, and it's coming back. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. So, um, having the Mash Report um, and getting to work on that. Uh, alongside um, doing a new... So I'm doing a new tour show, but the difference is, like, the last tour I did was an amalgamation of, like, all the old stuff I'd done because no one had seen all that stuff. Now I've got (laughs) ginger at my ass of having to write a new show for the first time in ages, but that feels... That scariness of writing a new show is so familiar to me, having done that, you know, for seven years at the Edinburgh Fringe. This is... That's territory that's like, yes, this is what I do. And going out on the road, doing live shows, that's like, this is my job. And that feels hard. So you're but excited safe. about every aspect of your career is something that you are really happy to do. It's not like, you know, a lot of people, not just in performing, in anything, are sort of scrambling and trying. And the, the, the thing that they're doing probably isn't quite the thing they want to do, but it's covering the mortgage. I mean, that's common for a a heck of a lot of people. But, I mean, this is lovely that you're doing things that you're on top of each thing that you're invested in 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 other respects. Yeah, it's kind of trying to, like, you know, and it involves turning down some things that pay more. (laughs) 
that, that aren't me you know, that don't feel. Thing, though, to say no. I do. Yeah, I do. When, when I always think, uh, a friend of mine had to turn something down, and he said the relief was like, almost like he'd done drugs. Yeah. And I, I've read enough self-help books to know that if the if that if the relief is that big, you know you've made the right call. That's it. Rather than oh god, I can't believe I just turned down the role of you know. That's it. You know there is some there are some programs and projects um, that you're like. That's gonna cause me, because um, I get I get Sleepers very anxious. Nights, anxi- oh yeah, mate, I get, my god! I get really bad anxiety, and so that's gonna cause me to go insane. Mm. Literally, um, I'm gonna be <laughs> unbearably anxious for six months if I do that. So just trying to um, earn enough money for the mortgage while making yourself sane, keeping yourself safe, that's, and, and, so to and finding things you care about. A hundred percent. So, you know, taking that one gig, doesn't matter what you do for a living, but you take this one job that's going to pay much more. But the amount of suffering that you have to go through to pull that off, yeah, you may as well do the, the thing that's going to pay less. You might have to work a bit harder, but you're going to enjoy doing what you're doing. Yeah. So it's sort of a no-brainer, isn't it, really? Yeah. In terms of your mental health and, yeah. and everything else. Yeah, exactly. Um, Keeping that balance. Well, actually, was one, oh. thing, one thing I was going to ask, and I, I don't think I know the answer... <laughs> What what do, what do you do for balance? What do you do away from comedy and performing and what have you? Well, it's not very exciting, but I, right. I love TV and films. <laughs> I love I love watching TV. I consider myself an expert at watching TV. Um, yeah, I love a good box set. Um, I play I play the piano not as part of my job, you know. So I go home and I play jazz and pop and classical and sing to myself. I've always done that. Um, for, for anyone at Christmas, what box set would uh, Rachel Paris? Oh my God! If you haven't started it already, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel is about a female stand-up. Oh, I, can't get, I can't get beyond the stand-up bits. Do you not like? Them? I think they're good. And now I'm going to say something sexy. <laughs> Not what it's like. And now I'm going to speak from my heart. Oh my god, yeah. I I, so, disagree. I so want to be on board with the show. Yeah, you know, yeah, imagine yeah. me, imagine me like the. I'm such a good audience. I'm sat yeah, yeah, down, yeah. you know, metaphorical popcorn and Pepsi. Oh, I can't wait for this. And then as soon as it's the stand-up bits, I'm like, oh, I can't even. Oh yeah, if you don't like this. the stand-up bits, you're going to hate the show. Yeah, but I do. I think they're good. Go on, please. I, think that, I don't think they are completely accurate in terms of she seems to have a new. Yes. set yeah. every gig yeah. which is improvised that doesn't happen but I do think in seasons two and three so season three is just out I'm about six episodes into season one okay well they start to show for example um, I love they show the huge range of gigs you have they don't just show her killing it or messing up they show a gig where the audience goes hmm, and smiles you know show the gigs that are perfectly fine they show the gigs that are fine that make up the bulk yeah. of your uh, <laughs> gigging life and they show her uh, honing her material. Um, she goes on tour uh, with this big act as her support act, and they show her night by night getting better at doing it and changing the joke slightly. So I think it's I think it's written by someone who knows about stand up, and uh, I I like it. I just think it's so I think it's visually beautiful. Looks I like great. The characters, yeah, it looks amazing. Anything with Tony Shalhoub in, to be fair, he's yeah. always, he's always really good. <laughs> I think it's so good. Her parents are amazing. She's what else? she's brilliant. Um, um, my wife and I, we'd spotted her in. We've seen lots of other things she. I haven't before. seen her in anything else. So she had a small role in House of Rach- Cards. Rachel Brosnahan. Brosnahan. Yeah. Fa- I mean, she's phenomenal. Yeah. And she's won. She's won every award. He could. I mean, she's. Yeah. She's, 
I think she's only missing the Nobel Peace Prize. I mean, they show hoovers up every award, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. But we saw her in the House of Cards and then something else, and she had another part in another TV show. So it's, I mean, she's a bit like you in that regard. She's done the hard yards, and this success could not be more richly richly deserved. I'm really enjoying his dark materials as well. Really? BBC. So I loved the books. Really didn't really like the film that they made, have a go at making the film, then they stopped making the franchise. And this is, I think it's a really good version of it. Um, and that hasn't, I think there's one episode left of this series. Um, yeah, I just, I watch, I watch films and TV. Um, I love reading. Uh, I read a lot of books. Um, I'm reading an Elizabeth Strout book at the moment. Is there anything, so this this goes out on the 23rd of December. Is there anything, we, is, there, is there a book we should all treat ourselves to before Christmas Day or for, or for um, Christmas morning? It depends what you like. So I would say if you like, um, you, I'm sure many of your listeners will have read them already, but I'm getting for a present for someone, um, the Rivers of London books, which are a Neil Gaiman style. Oh, yes, I've heard um, of these books. Uh, they're, so they're, yeah. they're set now. Um, yeah. They're like a detective uh, magic world. Um, but they're really, the main thing is they're really funny. They're really, really funny. So the first one's called Rivers of London and uh, they're by someone I think called Ben uh, Aronovich. Okay. And there's loads of them mm-hmm. and they're really funny. I'd love, if you're, if you're in London as well, there's got loads of little detail of London. Um, mm, I'm trying to think what else I've read recently. I loved like um, Eleanor Oliphant. Oh yeah. Uh, that was, that was a really good book. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't... Can I, may I ask a, a question? So before you've met the... the I'm, I'm trying to say his name. You don't want to say his name, do you? No, I don't mind. Okay, before you met Marcus. Yeah. So, I know, so Christmas, historically, you'd be... You you joined in the... Is it hashtag join in? Yeah. Because that's the thing that people can... If any of our listeners are... Uh, God, I, I, honestly, I, I get... I choke up with emotion every single... Yeah. There's got to be one episode where I've not got choked up. I don't... <laughs> I'm yet, I'm yet to, but not this day. But not this day. <laughs> but the the the, the join-in thing is such a it's such a beautiful idea. Yes. And yeah. so if anyone if anyone is alone at Christmas, it is such a it's such a positive positive aspect of. It seems like such a small stuff. thing, but it's did Sarah create it? I th- ooh, I've written a piece in Balance saying that she did. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sarah Millican champions it certainly. Yes. Um, and it's just this simple idea that if you're on your own or with few people or feeling lonely, that on Twitter there are people um, talking about and describing funny things that happen, sad things that happen, good things that happen, bad things, like anything that happens during Christmas Day for them and the lead up to it and the tail off to it so that you can just hear from other people what's happening, even talk to them on Twitter and you put the hashtag join in so that no one's completely alone on Christmas. Um, and I think it's such a good thing. You know, people say, and I know, God knows, social media has got its drawbacks, especially Twitter, which, you know, can be such a toxic place. Yeah. But it has the capacity to be a place of kindness. And I think if it has that capacity, really leap on that one. <laughs> I know Close. I know I'm not, I say as if I'm not, I'm not always positive. I can get angry and snarky and defensive on Twitter and um you know I think if we all especially after what just happened with the election like no matter how you're feeling trying to respond with understanding and knowing that other people's lives are, are, can be 
awful (laughs) and there might be reasons why they feel like they do um especially at christmas i think what an awful time to have an election i think it's such a bad timing it's really it's a real kick in the teeth depending on your viewpoint Uh, yeah i mean some people will be listening to this uh, while and they'll be like doing a conger and drinking (laughs) (laughs) but yeah yeah, chris i think i think christmas can be a really a really tough time so um i I did a warm-up recently and uh, someone told me that this isn't known, and I hope I'm, I hope this is a positive story. So I hope that if this gets back to them, I hope they're not upset. Um, their son worked on a pantomime. He's a, a tech guy, and uh, he works on these pantomimes every year. And did a, a pantomime in I think Edinburgh, somewhere in Scotland certainly. And the cr- the crankies uh, every year will do a pantomime, and every year have an open house on Christmas Day. <gasps> And so all the people who work on the panto who, who won't be going home and seeing their family oh. who might be alone on yeah. oh my god He's might be crying. Alone on Christmas <laughs> go around to the cranky's house and they oh they god. make they make Christmas dinner for everyone. That's really lovely oh and very funny. God. That's the best I mean that's like How did you spend your Christmas with the crankies? But, I mean you you've won at Christmas then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Cranky Christmas cracker. Incredible. It's, it's so nice that though, isn't it? Yeah. That's really lovely. Now, um, be- before we go, yeah. Um, obviously, there was there was, there was the joining thing. One thing, one thing I talked about recently with a, with a guest, Susanna Fielding, a couple of episodes ago. What did you? And I'm, and I'm saying this so that if the, if any of our listeners are alone or on their own, but would like to not be, would like to rectify that in 2020. Um, would like to you know get into the headspace where they 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 want they would like to try to rectify that. What what did you do to to turn that corner? And the reason why I'm asking that is because uh, my my therapist said to me, I've been single for twelve years. Mm. That's, that thing that I did on Harry Hill is absolutely true. And then she said to me, when the when the pupil is ready, the master appears. Mm. And what she meant by that was not that I was going to have an, an affair with a teacher. But that, <laughs> uh, She's basically saying, I think you're now ready. You're in that mindset where you might not be single for much longer. Yes. And she was proved correct. Yeah. Did you you have to do any work on yourself to get into that place where you... Yeah, I I had... I've had... I've only started having therapy this year after I had a really tough time in January and basically sort of had a bit of a breakdown. And therapy and making sure that I talk to my friends about what was happening and make them... Um, we, I didn't want to burden them with it because everyone's got lives to be getting on with. But, oh, like, Rachel. just making sure that <laughs> that they knew what was going on so that if I acted in a really weird way, they weren't overly worried or that they were worried for the right reasons, not the wrong reasons. Um the way I tried to work on myself, I suppose, was um, the the panicking, um, which uh, was very severe for a few months and then has got better, uh, was such a physical thing. And so I think there's a lot of um, literal physical things you can do if you have anxiety uh, especially around this time of year, which is the most anxiety. Yeah. There's too many people, too many bright lights. It's extremely loud. There's a lot of demands on you. Everyone's got heightened emotions and ready to take offence. And I do think it can be very anxiety making. And so I think making sure you 
literally take yourself out and say, I'm just going to go in, I'm just going to go upstairs for a, a while. Um, you know, if you want to make something up, that's okay if it's not the time to say it, but keep, um, for, for everyone's sake, keep yourself um, as okay as you can be. Yeah. And that might involve r- removing yourself from a situation. Um, and I think that's fine. Don't worry about even if people are offended, they'll be offended, but they'll probably get offended about something else if it wasn't you totally. going out of a room for, for 10 minutes. Um, I've forgotten what the no, question was. No, but I can totally relate to that. But breathing as well. So just breathe, because sometimes you do get... Ugh, don't let, don't try not to get, let your breath um, get away from you. Um, just try and... Ca- if you're starting to feel short of breath, just kind of try and do... We've all got our breathing exercises. There's plenty of apps for it. Um, sometimes you can't help it. But if you can catch it early enough and just kind of take yourself off, breathe steadily, you know, close your eyes, do whatever... <laughs> you want to call it meditation mindfulness anything like that even Which if it's just would, it's just i just can't i i can take that horse to water i cannot make it drink i think she just thinks anything like that is i don't know i don't think it's too wishy-washy but she would not just not just emily every i mean everyone would benefit from it but yeah I, she just it just won't happen it's so hard because i think it's all of this stuff often when people talk about mental health people think it's just to do with your brain and feeling sad or feeling worried and i only really i would say came to realize this january and the ensuing year that's happened how incredibly physical it is so Absolutely. what it caused me to have was not just panic attacks but um it affected i felt nauseous constantly and the sight of food made me feel like i was gonna like yeah. really be sick mm. So then I lost weight, I couldn't eat, and that made me feel... And then that physically turns your brain worse because you're not getting the nutrients you need. And everyone's like, oh, you're too thin. And it's a cycle, then you're into a cycle of it. And it's, it's such a physical... It's such a physical... Mental health is such a physical thing. Um, so I think just... every Everyone's got such different things going on. But I think just being kind to yourself... And I mean that not in an airy-fairy way. I mean, make the time, take yourself away or do your exercises, keep food inside you, um, good food that's good for you, eat well as much as you can um, so that you can do all the things that you want to do. But I do, I think it's sometimes, sometimes you can't, but try to. Is there any, I've said I've done the Columbo trick of one more thing and then I, I've kept it going for another, another week. <laughs> I'm not even sure what I just said was anything to do no, with the question. It, no, it really, it really was, and uh, I, I was mentally transporting myself back to times where I really should have heeded that. <laughs> I think we've come to the conclusion that oh, so this year we're staying in London, which I think will improve not just our <laughs> mental health but the mental health of our parents yeah. by by, yeah. Us, yeah. by us not being around. <laughs> that, I think I don't know about you. I, I, I think we discovered that we can only stay with uh, certain places for a certain amount of days. Yes. Oh, absolutely. And, I'm sure, and I know the feeling is mutual. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not like we're we're not being uh, we're we're probably the the, the problem there rather yeah. than anyone else. Uh, is there anything um, is there anything we can do to feel more Christmassy? Oh, um, in the lead up to Christmas, I just think singing. Um, yes. is an incredibly inclusive, lovely thing to do. It doesn't matter if you're good at it. It doesn't really matter what the subjects are. And you can sing Christmas carols even if you don't believe in Christmas. You know, it's just, if you can go to something like 
um, a carol singing thing on the street um, or a church service, if that's your back. I like going to church even though I don't believe in it. It makes your heart swell, though, doesn't it? It does. Just anything you can join join in singing with. Or sing along. There's so many cinema um, sing-along screen. Yeah. We went to um, a Muppet Christmas Carol sing-along um, and it was the most like Christmassy feeling really in the world everyone just really no. oh my god I, I love think it's because it. they know I'm so de- it's almost like schadenfreude you love it too much I lo- I'm so desperate for Jemima to love it yeah you're wanting it too hard I want it too hard you've got to let her come to it herself I totally. guess totally maybe she will when she's like 15 <laughs> yeah like, you know what I- I'm prepared to wait yeah <laughs> but uh, is this the year no <laughs> There is there is something in that though, wanting it too much. That's nice. Muppet Christmas Carol, singing, going to church, even if you're not a believer. Just just like finding finding community. It's not easy, and I know a lot of what I've said today about um making yourself well involves having other people around you. And I know some people don't have people around them. But um if it is possible, you know, there are loads of community groups. Um, doing things, especially around Christmas, Absolutely. which you can join in with. You could even sign up for in the new year an improv class. And I say that because I'm not advertising any. I'm saying improv is the most inclusive thing. You can do it whether you're a natural performer or not, whether you're terrified of the stage, whether you're uh, popular or uh, lonely or any of those things. And it is a way of communicating with people and making new friends. Improv can change your life. Oh, it can completely change mine. It's changed so many people's Not, lives. And I, I don't mean that... He, to anyone listening, I don't mean that you're going to join your local improv club and... And become I'm, Michael McIntyre. I, I <laughs> promise you will be the next Tina Fey. I'm not, I'm not necessarily <laughs> saying that. But it will change your life in terms of life skills and so on. So I would say Rachel Parrish is on tour, solo. Ostentatious... I, I, I've I've put, I've committed this to print, uh, and I say this with love in my heart. They are annoyingly good, <laughs> so talented, so ostentatious. They improvise uh, Jane Austen novels based on audience suggestions, and I would say I, I I put this on the poster. Seeing is believing. That is how good they are. I went down to watch them at Leicester Square a few years ago, and uh, just. Magnificent, fantastic! You'll have a favourite member again. I, I promise you that, like the Beatles. <laughs> Got to catch them all. <laughs> yeah, you, I, I promise you. It might be Rachel, could be Graham, could be Joseph. Might yeah. be, you know, uh, but definitely go see Ostentatious, and then definitely go see. I'll tell you what: for Christmas presents, what a great double header would be a, a ticket to see Rachel Paris and uh, a ticket to go see Ostentatious. Mash report back in twenty twenty. That's right. Have you written a book? No. <laughs> have, you, have you been approached? Yeah, that, I haven't got any ideas yet. <laughs> and I, do you autobiography though? No, um, I don't know. No one seems to want that. If you want to hear my autobiography, yes. get in touch. <laughs> I've done it on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I've done it. You've led me I through just, it. Of course, you have fortune. Yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> I've done it on this show. Um, Rachel, was there anything else? No, that's it. I didn't want, what I didn't want is it was walking out and you'd gone. James, I can't believe you didn't look. I've just launched a new range of drinks. He didn't, he didn't <laughs> oh, God, yeah, sorry. Um, do you have a dream for 2020? Um, um, edit that pause out. <laughs> no way. <laughs> um, I, there's no way of this not sounding cheesy, but I feel like in the last couple of years, I've kind of ticked off quite a lot of my dreams. So, no. 
because I feel like I'm an incredibly lucky place. Um, my biggest hope is that, uh, my biggest hope as things stand is that I have a successful tour because I've got a lot invested in my um, potential ability to still be able to write new material and new songs. <laughs> so it's a bit of a personal test to be like, could I still do this? So yeah, the the hope is that the tour is successful and people like it. And you can find out if Rachel can still do this. <laughs> With two work-in-progress shows that always be comedy in yes. Kennington, South London. <laughs> work in progress, remember that. That's why the tickets are cheap. Uh, rachelparis.com is the website yeah. uh, for the tour. Um, Rachel, thank you very much. I can't thank you enough. Thanks, pal. I wish you uh, a very Merry Christmas. I know thank you'll have you. a Merry Christmas. Listeners, I hope you'll have a Merry Christmas. Although I always do a bit from my uh, office at home where I have to do the cheesy wrap-up, so I'll do that now. Uh, thank you very much, Rachel. Bless thank you. Thank you. That was great. That was such a great Thanks, episode. pal. Thank you very much. That was so nice. That was a, that was such a, a lovely episode. Uh, huge thanks thank to Rachel. and to you, you, <laughs> Oh, wow. What a, what a moment to fudge your lines. I could do it again. You're absolutely right, but I'm stubborn. Huge thanks to Rachel. Uh, I've hyperlinked her website and the Ostentatious website. Strongly recommend both. MASH report back in the new year. Uh, I wish you a very Merry Christmas. And on a personal level, huge thanks to all of you. Um, why am I breathing like Darth Vader? Uh, huge thanks to all of you for everything this year. We I think we launched it in March. And the whole experience has just been such a blast. So thanks for all your feedback. Um, and I, I wish you a very, very Merry Christmas. Is there anything I'd recommend that you watch to feel Christmassy? Don't know why I've asked myself that question. It's quite pompous, isn't it? Have you ever seen Bad Santa? Oh, mate, what a movie. Not one for the kids, but superb. Uh, and I guess that's it. Oh, oh, as ever, we're on the socials. At Balance LDN. I'm at James Gill Comedy. Our website's balance.media. If you've enjoyed it, five-star review. Spread the word. Tell your friends. It helps like you won't believe. Positive write-up. Um, and we'll I think we'll release one probably next Monday. Is that the 30th? 30th of December. Uh, I, th- I don't think I'll put one out Friday. Don't think so. Um, and it'll be, there'll be a nice James Bond theme with John Rain, who's written a book all about James Bond um, and talks about the positive impact of social media. Because I, I, I do associate the Bond movies with the watching a Bond movie on telly over the Christmas season. I'll probably show my age because that was a real 80s and 90s thing. Uh, but that's he's a, such a funny guy. So that's a lovely episode. Um, so I'm got, I think I'll have to have a puffer on answer. Uh, an <laughs> really should have done this one again. Um, but thank you as always. I'm very grateful. Take care. Bye bye. 